it's all about. And that big event is called what? Church, exactly. Yes, church. That's it. And then there's a little thing called the Super Bowl that's happening later on today. But church is the big thing that's happening today. Amen, church? Man, it involves millions of people around the world. Two forces aligned against each other, the kingdom of God against the kingdom of darkness. And thank God we are on the kingdom of God's side. And we are uh, grateful to be in his presence right now. So with that in mind, let's have a word of prayer. And by the way, when we leave today, there's going to be two big bowls or, or pots out there in the back. It says Super Bowl, S-O-U-P-E-R, Bowl Sunday on there. And whatever money you can drop in there goes to our food pantries in the neighborhood. We do this every year on uh, Super Bowl Sunday. We do our S-O-U-P-E-R Bowl Sunday on the same day. And on the way out, if you're willing to give anything, that goes directly to our food pantries here in Fallbrook. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you that we are part of a very big event today. Thank you that we can come together and worship you. Thank you that we are together with brothers and sisters in your amazing family, God. And we love you, Jesus. You've changed our lives. You've changed our eternities. And we're here to worship you. May our hearts be ready to be taught by you today. And we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, we're in a series entitled unstoppable all about the church and jesus said on this rock i will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it and we're part of that story what began in acts chapter 2 continues here at riverview church you're part of the universal church that's impacting the world for Jesus Christ. And today I want to talk about this, the church alive. Two weeks ago, I talked about the church being born. One of the biggest events in the redemptive story of God as he creates this new thing. He was working through the nation of Israel to bring about the Messiah. But now that Jesus had died and rose again, he does a new thing called the church that would incorporate people from all around the world. And the church is off to a good start. We're going to read about it. We're not going to get through it today. We didn't get through it in the first two services, so we'll continue this study today. But I'd like you to turn your Bibles. Amen. We're opening up the Word of God. Amen, church? Oh, man, it's so good. You don't have to count on my opinions. You would never come here, right? Don't even come to church if a pastor is just going to give his opinions. But if that speaker is going to base his talk on the Word of God, then that's what we need to hear is the Word of God and what it has to say. Acts 2.37. As you know, Peter takes leadership in this early church. Uh, the Holy Spirit descended on 120 believers in an upper room, tongues as of fire, and the sound of a mighty rushing wind. The siren goes off in Jerusalem. Remember the story I told you a couple weeks ago that my wife was home and three houses down, uh, they were being burglarized. And the guy was inside the house calling the police saying, someone, two guys are trying to break into my house. Help me. And about four or five pop, cop cars, uh, police cars with sirens blaring quickly arrive in the neighborhood. And everybody's like, what's going on? What's happening here? Alerted the whole neighborhood. Well, that's exactly what's happening in Acts chapter 2. These sirens go off, tongues as a fire descending on believers. Peter gets up to speak to this crowd that's gathered to find out what's happening. And this person that was afraid to stand up to a servant girl when Jesus was being tried, afraid to admit that he even knew Jesus. Kirsten said, I don't even know the man. 
the same Peter who had experienced the resurrection of Christ was now bold and on fire for God stood up and gave this powerful sermon we'll look at it in a second talking about who Jesus is he was doing that one mile from Jesus' empty tomb with more than 500 people saying yeah I saw Jesus alive and he was raised in power. He didn't hobble out of the tomb with all of his wounds saying, help me somebody, I need medical attention. No, he was raised in power. His body glorified. 500 people saw him alive. And Peter gives his sermon, and more than 3,000 people come to faith in Christ. Acts chapter 2, I'm going to pick it up at verse 37. This is after the sermon of Peter, right? When they heard this, what Peter said, they were cut to the heart. Now, let me ask you this. Does everybody who hears the gospel of Jesus Christ get cut to the heart? No. Some people will reject it. There are some people mocking these believers, saying, oh, man, they're just drunk with new wine. So there will always be that element. But I believe God's word will take root in the hearts of many people, and that story will continue. It does here. They were cut to the heart. And they said to the Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Hey, if this is true, and it seems like it is, there are more than 500 people walking around Jerusalem saying, we saw Jesus alive. Yeah, I know, he was nailed to a cross. Yeah, I know, his body was torn up. But we saw him alive and well. And 3,000 put their faith and trust in Christ. So what Peter says here is this. Peter said to them, repent. What's that word all about? It's doing a 180-degree turn. Yeah, I was following this path away from God, doing my own thing, following a really selfish life. I encountered the gospel of Jesus Christ and said, I'm not following this path anymore. I'm doing a 180. I'm walking after Jesus. I'm following him. I'm changing everything about me. That's what repentance is. It's a good thing. I'm going to turn from this garbage life of doing my own thing and follow this amazing, abundant life of following Jesus. So he says, repent and be baptized. Mel, does baptism save you? No, it doesn't. But let me tell you, repentance and conversion should soon be followed by baptism. Uh, you'll be saved without being baptized, but the two are linked. What baptism is, is a public profession of what's happened inside your heart. It's you saying to the world, as you go under the water, I'm dying to myself as you go under the water. And then as you come up, I'm being raised a new person that's following Jesus. We do them here at Riverview Church. I love those Sundays because I have the privilege of calling everyone that's going to be baptized and say, hey, tell me the story of how you came to faith in Christ. Tell me the story of how you came to faith in Christ. Now, usually everyone says, well, oh, man, I, something like this. I, I was in high school, and I, I went to an FCA meeting, and I heard the gospel of Christ, and I, I, I believed. I was in youth group, and I put my faith in Christ. I was invited to a church, and I heard the gospel, and I put my faith in Christ. Generally, there's a time when you are not a believer, and then a moment later you are, like one of my favorite stories in the Bible, the thief on the cross. Don't you love that story? I have used that so many times with people about the importance of faith. Here's this thief initially mocking Jesus, but then he turns and says this when he sees uh, how awesome Jesus is even hanging on a cross. And he says this, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. 
that simple act of faith, my friends, changed the eternity of that thief on the cross. Jesus turned to him and said, today, you'll be with me in paradise. That's an amazing story of, no, you don't need baptism to be saved. You don't need to do a lot of works to be saved. In fact, all you need to do is put your faith and trust in Christ. The thief on the cross highlights that for us. Then Peter says, repent, and you know what? Make a public profession of that faith. Be baptized. Then he goes on and says, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of of the Holy Spirit. Here's the good news. The promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. This could happen to anybody. And man, I've been as surprised as you when some people that I thought would never come to faith in Christ came to faith in Christ. Wow, God did an amazing work in that person's life. And and the message is an urgent one. How powerfully was that driven home this past Sunday? And we are all saddened by what happened with Kobe Bryant and his daughter and the seven others that were in that helicopter. We were coming back from our trip up to Big Bear Mountain when my son said from the back seat, Dad, I just read that Kobe Bryant was killed in a helicopter crash. And the rest of the ride, we were just in shock. And seven other people, eight other people with him. We never know when the last moment of our time on this earth will be. But I want to tell you, my friends, we've been entrusted with the most important message we could ever give the world. That is the message of Jesus Christ. And this birth of the church is God's vehicle to do it. I love showing maps because it reminds us this was a real event that happened 2,000 years ago. About 30 AD, the church being born, God's plan to change the world. We do have a mission. We come here, yes, to be encouraged. And I want to say this every time I come to Riverview Church as a pastor, thank you for your encouragement to me. People tell me, hey, Mel, I'm praying for you. Hey, Mel, we're behind you. Hey, we're excited about what God is doing here. Because ultimately, this is all about building one another up, bringing people to Christ and edifying one another as we come here and grow in our walk with Christ. Uh, When we went to Big Bear, we do this once a year because the boys always want to go snowboarding. And uh, I, I skied a little bit when I was in high school, not much, because we weren't allowed to, being on the basketball team. But I, I enjoy it. And it, when I go, I'm a novice at best. And uh, I think you remember a few years ago I went, I pulled out all my old ski stuff that I hadn't used for years. I hadn't been skiing for years. But it's so nice to ski in California because people were skiing in, like, T-shirts when we were up there this past weekend. It was fantastic. I'm like, man, if I had had these conditions when I was a kid, I would have loved skiing. It was phenomenal. But I pulled out, you know, last time I went a few years ago, I pulled out my onesie, and I was wearing my onesie. And, yeah, it was old. But as I was getting on the lift for the first time, this guy who was working the lift, working at uh, the snow summit there, he was working the, the chairs, getting everybody seated. And as he seated me, and as I began to be pulled up the mountain, he said to me, in front of everybody that was in line, he goes, hey, keep wearing that onesie, and it'll come back in style someday. And I'm like, hey, man, you just insulted me as I'm being pulled away by the chair. So I was dressed in good, cool pants now. I didn't have my onesie on. But you know what happens when you haven't been skiing for a while. You go down these hills, and of course, yeah, I'm falling. My, my boys are pretty good at snowboarding, but I'm falling and learning again. What's the key to getting better at skiing when you fall? To get back up, amen, right? It's common sense. Same is true in the Christian life. 
when you fall, you get back up and you say, man, I learned from that. I'm not going to do that mistake again. I'm going to follow the Word of God. I'm going to follow what it says because I'm part of the church. I'm here to change the world. I have been given this message that is the most important message people have ever been given on the planet. And it's all about Jesus. And I love being part of a group like this that's dedicated to telling people about Jesus. See, the church I define as this, a worldwide group of true believers. You know, when I ask people about their faith, I generally don't say, are you a Christian? I don't say that because so many people say, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. But you can tell there's not a connection. So I've learned to, at least in my experience with talking with people, I will say, are you a believer? And the next question usually is, well, what do you mean by that? So it starts this whole conversation about what it means to be a believer, right? That's really what the church is all about, true believers. Not people that say, well, I've been a Christian all my life. I was raised in a Christian family. I've been a Christian since I was born. No, that's cultural Christianity. See, there's a moment when you're not a Christian, and then a moment when you are a Christian, when you are made alive again spiritually, like the Bible says, like John 3 says, when Jesus met Nicodemus, to be born again, born physically, then born spiritually. See, the church is a group of worldwide true believers in Jesus Christ and his work on the cross. We don't have faith in our works. We should not have faith in our good deeds to get us to heaven, right? It's on his work on the cross. And we gather together regularly in local congregations. You know that today, all around the world, people in Uganda, in Kazakhstan, in China, are believers like you and me. We're brothers and sisters with them in the body of Christ. And it's a powerful thing. And one day we will all be in heaven together based on the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. See, his resurrection is key. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, shut the doors of the church, let's go home. It's a waste of time. But because he did, and because the church exploded in numbers, by the way, that's a powerful apologetic for the resurrection of Christ. If you're like me and I tell people, I believe Jesus rose from the dead, they'll say, well, oh, man, how do you know that? What's the proof of that? Well, look at the church. Where did the church come from? There are billions of people around the world who believe in Jesus. How did that start? What started it? Uh, certainly it wasn't an army that marched into Jerusalem and said, believe in Jesus or die. Even the most skeptical scholars will say, something miraculous must have happened. For the number of believers to explode in numbers like they did in early Jerusalem, something miraculous must have happened. If I said to you, Kobe Bryant rose from the dead, you would say, no, are you crazy? You're an idiot. No one saw him alive. Are you, are you, you're an idiot. But Peter gets up in front of thousands of people and says, Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and he had more than 500 people backing him up. I would, ha I would have zero believers in me if I said Kobe Bryant rose from the dead. No evidence of it. But Peter had thousands come to faith in Christ. Thousands that not only believed it, but risked their lives sharing it with others as it eventually spread around the world. And disciples who were afraid to go outside during the, during the uh, crucifixion, after the crucifixion, they were hiding in a locked room but when they experienced the resurrected Christ, they turned the world upside down, gave their lives for what they knew really happened, that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. 
And after that, for 40 days, he taught them and prepared them for what they needed to do. He ascended into heaven in Acts chapter 1, telling them they needed to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. The fulfillment of that command is seen here today. Because people obeyed that command is why we have experienced the wonderful good news of Jesus Christ. Because people risked their lives for that message and ultimately spread it around the world right here in Bonzo. And after he ascended, 10 days later, the church was born on the Feast of Pentecost as this new thing that God was doing took birth. And the initial signs were, wow, this church is doing great things. Let me see, uh, go back to Acts chapter 2 in your Bibles. Right, Acts chapter 2, 37. What do we do? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the promise, verse 39, is for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other war words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received the word were baptized, and there were added that day, about 3,000 souls. Wow. The church is born. And here are four keys. We're going to do it this week and next week. The first key is this. Have an undistracted commitment to the life-changing good news message. Now, that's a key to eternal impact for Riverview Church. No question. If this church is going to do what God has called us to do, we have to have an undistracted commitment to the life-changing good news message of Jesus. But if it's good for the church corporately as a group, it's also a key component for your life having eternal impact. I want to ask you today, do you have an undistracted commitment to the life-changing good news message of Jesus? Have you ever told anybody this amazing good news that Jesus brought to the earth? I want to tell you, if it's not good news, it's not the message of Jesus the good news that we should love to share with people is this. There is a God who created you, and we rebelled against him. That's how I like to describe sin, right? Rebellion against God, disobeyed God. We moved away from God. And because of our disobedience, that separated us from God. But he loved us so much that he gave the very best he had, his only son who humbled himself, born in Bethlehem, prophesied about for thousands of years, lived without sin, became the spotless lamb of God, the sacrifice for our sins, and that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but you'll have everlasting life. That's good news. We should never be ashamed of that. One day I'll be gone as a pastor, but my prayer and my hope is that Riverview Church will never fade away from the message of Jesus Christ, will never fade away from the gospel of Christ. So many churches are abandoning the message and thinking, hey, if we just do good things, then we're doing what God has called us to do. And I'm thankful we're a church that does a lot of good things. I just checked with Bill Drennan this morning. 74 loft houses given away. 74 families in Ensenada, Mexico. 
supporting uh, crisis pregnancy centers and food pantries and helping people in the church that are struggling with various needs. So much that's happening behind the scenes that are good things. But here's the reality. If it's not coupled with the gospel, it's meaningless. Yeah, we give somebody a meal, but that only helps them for a couple of days. The good news of Christ, if they receive it, helps them for eternity, forever and ever. There's no message that the church has that comes anywhere close to the importance of the message of Jesus Christ. Nowhere close. I want to ask you today, if you want to have a life of eternal impact, do you have an undistracted commitment to the life-changing good news message of Jesus? Look what he does here in his sermon, Peter, in Acts chapter 2. He refers to Joel, a prophet who had prophesied 700 years earlier. It says this in verse 17, as Peter is preaching to the crowd, he quotes Joel, the prophet, sent from 700 years ago. In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I shall pour out my spirit on all flesh. He's saying that's what's happening here. Now that's just an indication that we are, according to the biblical prophecy, in the last days. It started at the birth of the church. We're in the last days. In fact, if you go down to verse uh, 19, God says this through Joel, And I shall show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke, the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood. If you've ever studied Revelation, you know, wait a minute, that sounds a lot like the book of Revelation. Those are end time prophecies. What's happening here? Peter is quoting Joel to give authority for what's happening. And Joel the prophet saw the birth of the church in his prophecy, but saw beyond that the end times, what's still to come. Theologians call that, let me share it with you, the prophet's perspective. I see it almost every time I come down Sunday morning on 76 as I'm traveling east towards the church. And I look out over the ridges and the mountains that are in front of me. And they kind of blend in together. And behind it all, you see Palomar Mountain. And they almost seem like they're right next to one another. But they're not. These ridges and hills have great distance between them. And that's exactly what Joel was experiencing as he prophesied. He prophesied about the church, and they gave a prophecy of something that would happen thousands of years later. The end times where the sun is darkened and the moon turned to blood. Here's another perspective of that. Here's the front view. You see two mountains as you're driving toward them, right? They look like they're right next to each other. But as you get closer and then begin to pass them and you see the side view of these mountains, you see they're actually very far apart. Peter, as he's talking to these folks, he's saying, you know what? Everything you see here, it's all fulfillment of God's word. And there are more promises to come. There are more promises to come, more things that will happen, that this is a part of God's amazing plan. And in his sermon, he talks about this. He begins with the authority of God's word. And I want to challenge you, whenever you talk to people, don't be afraid to refer to the Word of God. Don't be afraid to refer to the Word of God. Don't be ashamed of the Word of God. If someone mocks you for believing in the Word of God, hold your head high and say, yes, of course I believe in the Word of God. Can you believe today what some people will actually hold as fact? Like, I know for me, I've read thousands of articles about creation. You know I love this topic. 
And I was with uh, someone who was a marine biologist from Long Beach State, and we were at this gathering, and we began this conversation. And he began to, you know, I told him, yeah, I'm a pastor. And man, I said, a marine biologist? You must be amazed, that's what I told him, at God's creation. And he looked at me and said, oh, okay, so tell me about it. What, what do you believe? And I said, well, that God created everything. The animals you're studying, God created them. And we talked about that, and he kind of began to, to mock the position a little bit and said, well, you know, tell me about the age of the earth and what do you think about that? And I said, listen, I know what your, what your struggle is. So I told him this story, and you can use this as well. I said, I believe that God created humans, that they didn't evolve from a lower life form uh, with, on a, in a random process of biological mutations, that there was a God behind it all. He created humans, and that first person he created was named Adam. Let me tell you, marine biologist, if you walked into the Garden of Eden one minute after Adam was created, and I turned to you and said, you know what, I just watched this amazing event. God created that guy over there that's standing over there one minute ago. He's one minute old. You would turn to me, I said, and you would say, Mel, you're a fool. Obviously, that person is 20 years old. Look at him. He's a fully developed adult. You're off by a factor of one million. It's not a million old, a minute old. He's 20 years old. And I, would, and I said, I would say to you is, yeah, you know what? If I didn't believe in God, I would think the same thing. But see, what makes me different from you is I believe in an awesome God who can do far beyond what anything we can imagine or think. And the evidence that we have in creation points to this amazing God. You're going to call me a fool for believing that Adam is one minute old. You think he's 20 years old. And I'm going to turn to you and say, but I believe in an awesome God. I believe there's a God behind it all. And for you to believe what you do, it's a huge leap of faith to think that all of this beauty, all of this order, all of this design that happened around us happened accidentally by some random forces. And I will tell you that there is an awesome God beyond anything we can imagine or think that created it all. He's the one that I believe in. See, the, for me, that's a huge, not a huge leap of faith. It's a small step of faith. The evidence is so powerful for our God. So don't let anyone diminish your belief in the Word of God. Peter begins with the authority of the Word of God. Then he focuses on the person of Christ. I know when I talk to people, they always love to distract me from Jesus. When I talk to Jehovah's Witnesses, they want to turn to some obscure verse in Second Hesitations 14. You know, they want to turn there and talk about that. And I'm like, you know, I don't really care about that verse. Let's go back to the central issue. Who is Jesus? Let's talk about that. Peter does. Great strategy for all of you when you share your faith in Christ. Focus on the person of Christ. And this next part that Peter focuses on, he points to the resurrection as proof of Jesus' authority as Lord and Christ. See, it all hangs on the resurrection. When Jesus rose from the dead, his, his words had amazing authority. Paul mirrors this attitude in 1 Corinthians 2.2 2 when he says, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's all I wanted to talk with you about. I didn't really care how the Jerusalem Padres were doing in their baseball season. That wasn't a big issue for me. I focus on Jesus Christ to know Him, nothing else. Riverview, 
May that always be our passion. I have people call me and say, hey, Mel, you're the pastor of Riverview Church. Would you like to give to this a foundation that we have? Uh, that would be wonderful if the church could support that. My next question is always this. Do you, along with that good work, sounds like a good thing, do you also tell people about Jesus? Uh, no, no, we don't do that. We don't do that. See, we have so many organizations that we support who do good things like you're doing but they also tell people about Jesus, which is the number one priority of anything we ever support here at Riverview Church. they got to tell people about Jesus while they're doing all these good things. See, that's ultimately what helps people. That's the greatest loving act we can give anyone is to tell them about Jesus and to live by faith. I love this verse, and we're going to close. I know it's getting late. We're going to pick it up next week, though. It says uh, this in uh, the book of Colossians 2.6. Therefore, as you receive Christ, so walk in him. When you receive Christ, you receive him by faith. And the Bible says you received him by faith. Now walk by faith. What does that mean? I define it as this. Trusting and obeying God no matter what the circumstances because God is in control and promises a good result. See, God says, man, everything's going to work out together for good. Mel, even if this is your last day today, trust me, obey me. I'm going to work things out together for good. I have all things under control. Trust me. Riverview Church today, trust God. Obey Him. Hold your head high as the church of Jesus Christ. Do the work of the church of Jesus Christ. Give the world the message we've been entrusted with, the most important message that can ever leave our lips. That Jesus came and died for a sinner like me. And you can be set free. You can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you will not perish, but you will have eternal life. And we're going to pick it up next week with the second key. It's so important, an uncompromising commitment to the Word of God. We're going to talk about that, how vital that is, and how important it was in the early church. Amen, church? Amen. Let's bow our hearts in prayer today. And as you bow your heart today, I want to ask you, as a follower of Jesus, do you have a desire to make an eternal impact? Is that your passion? Or are you being distracted? Has the message of Jesus no passion for you in your life? Or are you praying for people who are sharing that? Are you looking for opportunities to get behind ministries that promote that? Are you looking for opportunities yourself to make a difference by sharing it from your own lips? Lord, we love you today. Thank you for this early church that did so many things right. You were empowering them, and they turned the world upside down by your power. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we stand together? All hail King Jesus. All elders up front would love to pray with you about anything going on in your life. Ladies, don't forget to sign up for the Bible study and live this week all for him. God bless you. See you on the patio.